Welcome to an inspirational Sunday message from Found Church. We hope you will be challenged and encouraged while listening to this message. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our church website, foundchurch.co.uk, or you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I just pray, Lord, that you'll be glorified in what I share today. And I just say, come Holy Spirit, and uh, flow through me this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you've got your Bibles, if you turn to John 13, probably your Bible will fall open at John 13 just now because I've been there for such a long time. And I've probably got another couple, uh, well, one other message from, from John 13, and then we'll be going into Do Not Let Your Hearts Be Troubled. So I just want to uh, finish off a, a, a bit here and, and uh, share on, uh, on With Jesus in the Upper Room is our, is our title. And it says in John 13, 34, And you command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So as we know, these are the final words that Jesus spoke with his disciples 24 hours uh, before he was due to give his life on the cross. So the final words that people say are important, and there's no more important final words than the the words that the Lord Jesus would speak to his disciples. And and so those are important things. They've got a big weight to them, and we would do well to, to, uh, uh, to pay attention to these things that Jesus has been telling us. And what I would like to think about, us to think about just for a moment before I get into this subject is think about some of the big headlines that we've looked at so far in this particular passage. We've looked at love in verse 1, and I've just read about it again just now. We've looked at the importance of servanthood and, and taking that position of servanthood in our lives, the importance of obedience, following through on what the Lord Jesus has told us, the importance of Scripture itself. That was one of the messages I preached recently. The importance of loyalty, betrayal. We've seen all these kind of uh, things being highlighted in these early words of the Lord Jesus. And so I think it would be good for us to ask ourselves, well, what is actually the Lord Jesus doing and showing us these things? I mean, what, what are we to pick up uh, from all these things that the Lord Jesus is saying? And I, and I believe that one of the aspects of, of, of the, 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 the messages that the Lord Jesus is speaking to us here is on the subject of culture. And I would like us to think about that subject of culture today, but in a wider context than what we've seen here. A culture of love, a culture of servitude, a culture of obedience, of biblical obedience, of loyalty, would, would seem to me that that is what the Lord Jesus is seeking to establish in, 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 the, in, in the culture of his disciples. In fact, the historians tell us that uh, one of the things that, that, that was really important in the growth of the early church was how the early Christians behaved. And this is how we're meant to behave. And they would actually say, see how these Christians love one another. These are famous historical quotes. And so I want us to talk a little bit wider than that today and just think about this whole culture thing that Jesus is seeking to establish here. Sean Lovejoy says, in today's leadership economy, culture is the dominant driver of health and growth. The culture that we have is really, really important. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before. And this little uh, 
25 minutes that I'm going to share this morning is only going to scratch the surface. I've actually spoken on this before. This is not a rehash of what I've said before. It's some of my recent thoughts and observations on it, as well as some of the things that have been in my heart for a long time. But culture is actually everywhere. I'm sure you recognize that. Every school, every workplace, every family, every friendship group, Every football club, every generation, every sports club, churches have their own cultures. There's different things about it. It's the feel that's what we feel. There's culture in society, and I'll come back to that. There's culture around the use of social media and what popular beliefs are about these things. And my family gets scared when I mention social media because I really don't know too much about it. You need to speak to Stephen or something about that. But I understand that when mobile phones and cell phones first became popular, that there were acronyms that teens came up with, like P-O-T-S, which are parents over the shoulder. T-A-W. Remember, remember that? Teachers are watching. So there was all these different things that came out to start with. I, I, that's an education for you as well as me. Like, but a list's been updated now, and there's more in, in, in relation to that. Beef, F to F, juice, slide in the DMs, all kinds of different things. So social media has got all different. You were amazed that I would know these things. Eh? Uh, so, so, scared now, scared now. Uh, uh, there you go. So all of, all of these things are part of, of a culture and, uh, and social media, and, and, and there's worse. So I will not go any further. So, so what is culture? Well, Seth Godin says this, culture is 11 words. This is who we are, and this is what we do. As I said, it's what people feel when they go somewhere. One of the reasons why we have our outreach meeting in Grangemouth, in the Lee Park Hotel, is because of the culture of the Lee Park Hotel staff. The first night that we went there, they were so kind and so helpful and have continued to be to us every Sunday night that we go down there. And, and uh, we've got to know these people, uh, know their names, Karen, Joe, Hope, they're all brilliant. They cannot do enough to serve us when we go there. And there are people in the hospitality industry that are brilliant. And there's some that need training. And you'll have been in places where that's the case. And sometimes I'll say to Dan, training issue here, something needs to happen. Especially if you've watched Horst Schultz's stuff on service. But someone said, culture is the somewhat nebulous and complex blend of norms, beliefs, attitudes, traditions, and practices that define a congregation. And I was really impacted by a statement I heard a number of years ago. Culture is not determined by what is written on the wall, because I've been in places, even football club changing rooms, where there have been statements on the wall, but it's who is working down the hall. It's not what's on the wall, but it's who is working down the hall. It's what we are giving off when people come to, to, to our places. Others have said it's a message you preach before uh, and after a sermon. Rick Warren says, as you greet people before and after the service, you're preparing the way for them to receive the message. Here are at least three things to give to the attenders you interact with outside the service. A welcoming face, a meaningful touch, an encouraging word. I wonder if we've been that kind of people today. If we want our church to grow, we've got to reach beyond our circle. 
If we, either that or people will feel they cannot grow, go, get into this circle and, and they will say, that's an exclusive group and, and uh, that group will remain exclusive. Whether it's children, youth, adults, coffee morning, whatever it is, whatever ministry we're involved in, we have got to be an embracing type of people. Sean Lovejoy says, culture is a dynamic combination of several things. It is the combination of our vision what we want to do, and our values, how we do it. It's a combination of what we believe, what we say is important, and how we behave, whether or not our actions align with what we've said is important. So if we say one thing and live a different way, then then it's how we live. That's what people are going to feel. So in our ministries, in our workplaces, among our friends, whatever ministries we have, we we might actually be designing the culture, or we might be changing the culture that we inherited. But culture is important. To get a biblical picture of culture, we've already, I've already alluded to, to John 13, I think the parable of the sower shows us something. It's insightful there. In the right soil, stuff can grow. I remember phoning up the Agricultural College in Scotland a number of years ago and preaching on the parable of the sower and said, what is a typical yield? Of, of barley in Scotland. And the, and the guy said, well, it's difficult to say. I says, can you give me parameters? And he says, well, it depends on the soil, depends on the conditions. And, but it, it, it's, it's between 8 and 12 times. Jesus said, if we get our culture right, it could be 30, 60, or 100 times. That's incredible what Jesus said. And so we want good culture, good soil, so that the work of God and found can flourish. It won't be easy But Jesus commanded us to love. He commanded us to serve. He commanded us to wash feet. And what Allison asked for this morning is important. We've been given another opportunity to serve. There's a general culture in society. Scotland has one. I would say that currently in Scotland, our culture is more liberal, more individualistic, and more secular than I think it's been in my whole lifetime. That's my particular opinion. I believe it's more fractured and more divided than it's been for many years. And if you look at at the independence question, our country is practically split. If you look at the vote for the the recent leader uh, of the SNP, it was almost a split vote. Whatever side of the fence you're you're coming down on, it's it's half and half. It's it's a split country. And and I read a a quote recently which is worth mentioning Culture is upstream of politics. In other words, people are more influenced by the culture than by policies and politics. And the power of cultural influence eventually shapes politics, not the other way around that we think. And people generally vote today in relation to these things. The article went on to say that they believe that many of the most celebrated artists are not shaping the culture in a positive way. You can sub out artists for a plethora of other words, actors, rock stars, entertainers, and comedians. And you ask yourself if that lifts up God in our society at this moment in time. And it goes on to say the prevailing message of influencers to our society is that personal desires are king. The message is that anything that stands in the way of your personal happiness must be a bad thing. It's a me-centered culture, and a culture focused on self is a culture of fractured disunified, and lonely people. And that's not what Jesus came to build. If we don't understand it, we'll end up being ineffective. 
we had a fantastic time at the conference. Dr. Amy or Ewan was, was a, a tremendous, is a tremendous speaker. I've gone to hear her many times. I went to hear her in a meeting in St. Paul's and St. George's just a few weeks ago because I love her ministry and understanding culture and things like that. But if we don't understand culture, we're not going to be able to, to, to minister into it. And if we don't have a different culture, then people are going to be attracted to us. I read a story in the early 1920s, and, and it was in the book Radio Morality and Culture. And uh, in 1923, in the New York, uh, in New York, there was complaints by the authorities of the Episcopal, the Methodist, and the Presbyterian churches that the churches in surrounding small towns and cities are being ruined financially by the radio broadcasting of sermons and music. In 1928, the same publication quoted the statistician Roger W. Babson, who predicted that radio will tend to eliminate the small church preacher. And so the bishops and the people of the day were annoyed that in addition to other things that were challenging uh, people for, uh, in relation to church attendance, Sunday excursions, movies, sacred concerts, automobiling, and broadcasting, that they felt that if radio was allowed to continue the way it would, that it would sub out the, the, the country preacher because people could tune in and get an experience online with the best of choirs and the best of teachers. I'll, I'll, I'll leave you to make up your own mind as to whether the scaremongers were correct and, and what they said in relation to culture. But I want to say, if that's what you believed in relation to culture at that particular time, I doubt whether you'd have been able to change culture at that particular time. So it's, it's really important that we get it right. Culture can be good or bad. If people feel judged, alienated, criticized, looked down upon, they won't respond as well as if they feel loved, served, appreciated, encouraged, and honored. I read an article that says there are six signs of, of toxic culture in your church. When politics win, what gets said publicly is different from what happens privately. You deal with conflict by talking about people, not to people. Church fights are normal. There's an entrenched us and them mentality, and no one takes responsibility. Now, I don't believe that's our church. But, but I believe that happens in churches. And to that list, you could, you could add many of your own points into that. But if you want to take biblical principles in relation to the subject that I'm looking at, culture, if you were to, take the, to look at the Bible, you will find that on numerous occasions, the, the New Testament writers challenged the culture of the day. So to the Corinthians, Paul would have written, and he would challenge them about being worldly, and about immaturity. So he spoke about them being immature. He says, for some of you say, I follow Paul, and, and some of you, I follow Kephas, and, and uh, others say, I follow Jesus. And, and while that, that would be the right answer, the, the thought was that people were being a bit, a bit prideful and, and, and when they were saying that. So he challenged at that particular time this worldliness and this immaturity. And not only immaturity, but he, but he challenged the morality. And, and, and he challenged the people of the day for how they were living immoral lives. He says, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that does not occur even among the pagans. It would appear that a man is having intimate relations with his stepmother, and Paul challenges them to stop it. 
And there was an insensitivity in relation to the Christian testimony of what was going on. They were bringing each other to court in front of unbelievers. And, and Paul was writing to them and telling them that, that you should not be doing that. And can you not even get people who are not all that qualified to judge these things? For do you not know the day will come when you will actually judge angels? And then there was, fourthly, ignorance about the return of the Lord. And, and it, some of them were preaching that, that, uh, that, that there's no resurrection of the dead. And in that magnificent chapter in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul speaks about the resurrection uh, from the dead. And so we could go through the Bible. In Thessalonians, they were kind of stopped working, waiting on the mountaintop for Jesus to return. And Paul challenges them about their laziness and said, if you don't work, you don't deserve to eat. In the Galatian churches, it was the gospel plus. It was like Jesus plus. It was like legalism and, 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 uh, and circumcision on top of the gospel. And I'll tell you, friends, we get saved by the gospel alone. It is Jesus only. That's how we get saved. You don't get saved by the church. You don't get saved by minister. You get saved by Jesus only. And so they were corrupt in the gospel. It was like the gospel plus. And, and Paul had the right things to, to them, such as, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And, and then he goes on in Galatians 5 to speak about the works of the flesh, and, 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 and he lists them for us, the acts of the sinful nature, our old nature, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, adultery, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, etc., etc. And he says that these should be replaced in a believer's life by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so he's looking for a different kind of culture. And you could say the same about Revelation, as Jesus is challenging the culture. You think you're alive, but Jesus says you really did. And so that's what's going on in Revelation. So culture accelerates a vision. It's like fuel for a vision. And an unhealthy culture is the opposite end. And it creates credibility that people actually live what they believe, do what they actually say they will do. And our call as believers is to be countercultural. That's what we've seen in this particular passage. In a world that trampled on each other, pushed over each other to get to the top, got rid of those that were that were uh, that, that were that appeared to be less in the social st standing than others. We have the model of a savior who took a towel and washed the feet of the disciples. It is so countercultural. Counter in Philippians two. We, we've got the self-humbling of Jesus, you, and, and, and we will see that he made himself nothing, took the very nature of a servant, humbled himself, became obedient, obedient to death, even death on a cross, wherefore God exalted him to the highest place. And we read about that in, in Philippians chapter 2, and that's a massive theological uh, statement that's been made at that particular time. Some think it was even an early Christian hymn. And so you've got in Philippians 2, you've got this self-humbling of Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself a servant. And, and so you've got this picture that, is, that has been lived out in the passages that we've been looking at. But, but it doesn't stop there, because the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And so, so the challenge to me and the challenge to you is exactly the same. In fact, Paul puts it like this. If you have any comfort from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, and then he goes on to speak about doing nothing for selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. And then he says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And so 
all the time I see in the Bible. Once, once you grasp this, once the light switches on, you begin to see that, 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 that this message permeates through the whole of, of the gospel and, and all of the New Testament. And uh, we're, count, we're called to be countercultural. One of the m- most important verses for that is, of course, Romans 12 and, and verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what, God, what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And so in the, in the, in the message it says, do not become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. And, and, and so he's challenging us to be different, that you'll be different in your workplace you'll be different in your home. If your husband is not a Christian, or your wife is not a Christian, or your, or your children are not a Christian, you're not going to win them by your words. You're going to win them by your actions more than anything else. It's creating that environment. It, 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 where, where then, out of that, that then, the, then the question can be asked, and, and, and you'll get that opportunity to speak. That's what Peter says. For you Disney fans, and, and it is a rare occasion for me to mention Disney. I just want to let you know that. It's not, it's not part of my DNA. It's not part of my culture. But, you know, in the story of Cinderella, the ugly sisters thought they could get their feet into the slipper. And uh, it was not obviously made for them. And it's a bit like that in culture. We should not be trying to, to fit into that slipper, into that mold. J.B. Phillips' translation says, Do not let the world squeeze you into its mold. So we need to ask ourselves, when there's gossip going on, when there's, when there's people stepping back from others, when there's exclusivity, when there's, when there's cliques and things like that, are we part of it or are we different? When people criticize, are we different? And, and, and Jesus says in Matthew 5.13, it says, you're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors in this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? So we need to know who we are in Christ, that we are ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are very, very different people, that we fix our attention on God. And day by day, in our 24-7, in the different things that we're doing, we're 95, 84, whatever, 10 to 2, whatever it is that we're involved in, that we could be there as an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would be saying, Lord, here I am at my work. Have you got something you want me to say? Do I draw alongside the person who's been ostracized? Am I going to be countercultural? Can I pray with somebody who needs prayer at this moment in time? Can I lift up someone? Can I bring a different focus when everybody's uh, jumping on somebody and criticizing them? Can I bring out their good points? Can I bring out the God flavors in their life? Jesus brought the culture of heaven to earth. I've said that on many, many times. And, and, and he upset the religious people more than anything else. He broke many religious and cultural rules. He offended the people of the time, but he brought the culture of heaven down. And you know what? The tax collectors and the sinners and the prostitutes, they loved him. He, he ministered into their situation and he reached them without being contaminated. He went in and he lifted them up because, because his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts, according to Isaiah 55 and 59. I heard Chris Hodges make a statement, and I love Chris Hodges' teaching. We've been looking at his stuff at LEAD, at our, at our monthly leadership school, and, uh, and we've been looking at some of his stuff lately, and it's been a real blessing. He says, we don't want people to come to church 
and only encounter us. Uh, he was speaking about the importance of the presence of God in the meetings. And I believe in that, and I loved it this morning. I love when we have the presence of God in our meeting and pray for that more and more. But, you know, it, wouldn't it be wonderful if people came to the church and encountered us, and they were so like Jesus, we were so like Jesus, that when they encountered us, they encountered Jesus. So it wasn't just the worship experience or the welcome at the door, but every single one of us was like Jesus. What if we became more and more like Jesus? David Jeremiah tells a story of a, 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 that was in a newspaper of a young guy that wanted to become an elf. And uh, through plastic surgery, he tried all kinds of things, broke his jaw, had it reassembled, his chin was reshaped, his ears were cut open, stretched out, his eyes were made cat-like, and he's having four ribs removed to be thinner at the waist. There you go. That's, the, that's what I need to do. And uh, said, I have my own beauty ideal. and want to achieve that no matter what. But what God w- wants to do for us is not take some kind of radical plastic surgery, but some internal stuff and work in our hearts and make us more like Jesus so we are transformed from the inside out. As we wait on Him, as we encounter Him in worship, as we encounter Him from the word, through the Word, we are then changed and go on and make a difference. So can we be cultural changers? The band can come. What kind of culture does God want in His church? I would say a life-giving culture, a healthy culture, a culture of love, a culture of honor, a culture of grace, a passionate culture, culture of joy, a can-do culture, a welcoming culture, a culture of justice, a place where we can care for the poor, drama-free, teamwork, execution on what we say we'll do, service, excellence, generosity, obedience, loyalty, trust, encouragement, <coughs> and a culture of faith. When we left the conference last week, um, I, I spoke to somebody and they said, well, did you enjoy the conference? I says, yes. I says, is there th-? and people have asked me this morning, what did God say to you in the conference? I would say my headline is, I feel bigger on the inside. That's what I would say happened to me. I feel bigger on the inside. One of the most remarkable experiences to me was on uh, Wednesday morning, going to a prayer meeting. It was jam-packed full. There was not a seat left. There was not hardly even standing room to stand in a prayer meeting. And, and such was the hunger and the passion and the encounter moments. And people praying for one another and, and uh, speaking in tongues and, and different things happening. It was just so wonderful. And it was just a wonderful encounter experience. It made us feel bigger on the inside. Culture is something that needs to be addressed all the time. In the March 4th edition of Morning Brew, it was reported that a, com- a Colombian vi- village is having a hippopotamus problem. In the 1970s, one of the major drug dealers imported, imported hippopotami, I think is a, the, the plural, uh, into hippopotamuses, I think it's a hippopotami. And, uh, and so this species that came in that were there just for people to admire and stuff have actually become an invasive species like the, like the pythons in Florida. And things come into culture that's changed the culture. But we've got an opportunity to be different in our culture. We've an opportunity to bring kingdom culture in. And I, I actually believe at this moment in time in our nation, like never before, 
that we have got opportunities that we've never had before in our lives. And I think, and I'm, I'm convinced, that if people see authentic Christian living, Jesus-centered living, if we live the way that Jesus taught us to live, and there's so much more, and I'm going to close my notes now, that, that there's so much more that I could say. But my, I, I actually believe these are our best days. Wonderful days. Diane and I had a coffee with a pastor last week, and there was a young guy, age 17, went to his bed one night, and in the middle of the night, he dreamt about Jesus. And this church is not 50 miles from here. He dreamt about Jesus. He woke up in the morning, and he says, till his mom and dad, I want to go to church on Sunday. And so he went to church with his parents. All three of them give their lives to Jesus. And all three of them have since been baptized in water. Now, what if he came into something where people didn't welcome him? What if he came into a place where, where it was all dead, dry, dull, dry, and boring? What, what, if, what if he wanted to become part of the youth and, and it was difficult? What if, he, what, if he, what if, what if, what if? But thank God he went to a life-giving church. Thank God he came in, he heard the gospel, and he realized he could give his life to Jesus. And I believe that there's more and more people out there, and that's what they're looking for. They're looking for authentic Christianity and spirituality. There's lots of people spiritual, and they need connected to Jesus, who is the, who is the one who came bringing the life-giving spirit of God. That's who we need. So can I encourage you, please stand with me as a band to lead us in a closing song. I just want to lead us in a closing prayer. And, and to be the people that God wants us to be. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been challenged and inspired. Please feel free to contact us through our website, foundchurch.co.uk or you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.